Today, uh, I want to talk to you about the seven points of the cross. And you're going to need your notes for this, okay? Because I only have three points. There's seven points today. And it's a shorter sermon than normal. I want to talk to you about the seven points of the cross. The seven things Jesus said on his deathbed. They're great promises, great truths for me and you. Before I share those seven points, I want to tell you a modern day parable. So stick with me. I want you to use your imagination and imagine that it is March the 14th, 2020, Saturday night. You're getting home after having dinner with some of your friends and you're scrolling through Facebook and you see a video about a city in China where some people have died of a mystery flu that's never been seen before. It's not pneumonia. It's not influenza. You don't think much about it, but on Sunday afternoon when you're coming home from church, there's a radio spot that talks about not just those four people that died in China the day before, but now it's 500 Chinese deaths. By Monday morning, whenever you get up, it's the lead story. It's not just now in China. It's in Thailand, Japan, and they've coined the epidemic as the coronavirus. Everyone is wondering how are they going to contain this certain strand of this mystery flu. That night you're watching the world news and a reporter from Italy tells of a man in Rome who's dying of the quote-unquote coronavirus. It's now spread to Europe. Panic is striking everywhere. The best they can tell, once you have it, uh, you don't even know you've had it for the first two weeks. And then on the third week, you have some unbelievable painful symptoms. And then finally, you die. On Tuesday morning, you hear that Europe has closed its borders. But it's too late. The virus already made it to Spain, to France, even to Germany. And the President of the United States of America makes the following announcement. Due to a national security risk, all flights to and from Europe and Asia have been canceled. If your loved ones are overseas, I'm sorry. They can't come back until we find a cure. Within just four days, it seems like the United States has plunged into unbelievable fear. Lysol, toilet paper, face masks are selling off the shelves. People are wondering, what if it gets to the United States? Religious people are on social media talking about how this is the wrath of God. Some people are conspiracists thinking that, you know, there's certain people around the world who have intentionally done this to try to gain control and start a one world government, if you will. On Wednesday night, you and your family see an announcement that's made on every television channel in the United States. There are two senior citizens in California dying of this COVID-19. Within hours, it swept across the world. California, then Utah, then Texas is closing in on the eastern seaboard. People are working around the clock trying to find an antidote. Businesses are closing their doors. Schools have canceled all classes. Churches have refused to congregate. It looks like the end times are very near. Then all of a sudden, Thursday afternoon, the news comes out. The code's been broken. A cure can be found. A vaccine can be made. 
is going to take the blood of someone who has not yet been infected by the virus. So all over the eastern United States, people are asked to do one simple thing. When you receive the emergency text on your cell phone, go to your local hospital and have your blood taken. That's all we ask. When you and your family arrive at Grand Strand Hospital on Friday night, there's a long line with nurses and doctors coming out, pricking fingers, taking blood. After you and your family give blood, they tell you to just wait in the parking lot and whenever someone calls your name, you can be dismissed and go home just like everybody else. You stand around a hospital parking lot with some people that you work with, some people that, you, that live in the same neighborhood as you, friends from your children's school are there, everyone's wondering if it's the end of the world. Suddenly a young man in a doctor's coat comes running out of the hospital. He's holding a clipboard, waving it in the air, and he's yelling someone's name over and over again. Finally, your child tugs on your jacket and says, Daddy, that's me. Before you know it, they've grabbed your child and say, everything's going to be okay. His blood is clean. His blood is pure. He's the only one without the disease. And we think he has the right blood type. Your son could save the world. Fifteen agonizing minutes later, outrun an entire group of doctors yelling, Thank you, thank you. Your son's blood type is perfect. We can make the vaccine. As word begins to spread, people are screaming, praying, laughing, crying, singing. News teams are showing up within minutes. World leaders are coming in on planes and helicopters to Myrtle Beach. Within hours, the entire globe knows your name. On Saturday afternoon, after working all night with you and your family, a gray-haired old doctor pulls you and your spouse aside. He says, we need you to sign a consent form. You say, doctor, you've already been working with my child all night long. You notice on the consent form that the number of pints of blood to be taken is blank. That's when the doctor's smile fades. And he says, we had no idea it was going to be a child. We need all of it. You say, well, what about a blood transfusion? They say we would if there was someone else that was not infected by this disease. We're talking about the whole world here, sir. Just sign the consent form. You start thinking about your child's first steps. Playing soccer outside. First day of school. Family vacations. And then you and your wife talk and you say, listen, we don't even know these other people. These are people on the other side of the world. There's murderers out there. Rapists. People in prison? Why don't we just use the blood we need to save ourselves? And then in numb silence, you sign away your perfect child to the entire world. Can you even walk back to the hospital room where your child is sitting on this hard, 
cold hospital table. And the last words from your son are, Daddy, is this really what you want me to do? Isn't there any other way? The next morning, Sunday morning comes around, and in specific buildings all over the globe, there are ceremonies that people are holding to honor your son. Some people show up and they sleep through half of it. Others don't even come because they were busy the night before. Some show up with a very pretentious smile and just pretend to care. Wouldn't you want to scream at the top of your lungs, my son died for you. Don't you care? God is screaming to every one of us, my son died for you. Don't you know how much I care? You know, the last words that people speak on their deathbed are very fascinating to me. Believe me when I say it does not line up with the movies. It's rarely ever anything kind or profound. When people are in agonizing pain, and I know me, I would be asking for more morphine. I'd be praying, God, make the pain stop. Take me now. But what Jesus said on his deathbed to you and I is so intriguing, so fascinating to me. While he's in agonizing pain, he's thinking about you and me. The seven points of the cross are this. Number one, forgiveness. Luke twenty-two thirty-four. Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they don't even know what they do. Listen real close. We know that Jesus is now seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you and I. He already started that even before he died. He's praying to God. He's requesting something from God. While he's hanging on a cross, dying, he's asking God for something. Not to relieve his pain. Not to hurry up and get it over with. He's asking God to forgive people like you and me who have done horrible and ignorant and selfish things to him. And he's saying, God, forgive them. The word forgive, there's several definitions. One is to remove the guilt. And that's not just talking about the feeling of guilt. Whenever you stand before a judge, there's two things the judge will say, either innocent or guilty. Jesus is saying, God, you can now remove the option of guilty. They can only be innocent because of what I'm doing. This is a great truth that Jesus reminds us of. In his deepest and darkest time of need. Forgiveness can also mean this. Justified. Justified. Remember the word justified. Here's how you can remember it from the Bible. Justified. Just if I'd never sinned. Just break the word down. Now, if you're from Socasty, you can say it like that. Just, as, just if I'd never sinned. If you're from up north, you might have to say just as if I'd never sinned. But we in the South, just, just if I'd just I, I never sinned, just if I'd never sinned, that's how we say it. Remember that. That's what forgiveness is. Number two is this. Paradise. In Luke 23, 43, Jesus said to him, today you'll be with me in paradise. Here's what Jesus was reminding us of while he's dying. 
The minute you close your eyes on earth, in that split second, you will open your eyes in heaven. What a great promise. What a great reminder to us. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 8, we are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. One way you can remember this is this phrase right here. Sudden death equals sudden glory. Sudden death, sudden glory. Number three, unforsaken. Unforsaken. God will never turn his back on us. He will never forsake us. And Jesus reminded us of this on the cross. Matthew 27, 46, about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God forsake Jesus so he would never ever be able to or have to forsake those of us who believe. He will never forsake us. If we could do something for God to forsake us, that means there's no grace. It's all works. Because if I can do something for God to turn his back on me, that means I can do something for God to look at me. Listen, it's not about works. It's all grace. Hebrews 13, 5, for he himself said, remember, God can't lie. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'll never forsake you. If you're one of my children, I will never, I don't care how bad you are, I don't care how many times you turn your back on me, I'll never turn my back on you because I turn my back on Jesus on your behalf. David said it like this in Psalms 37, 25. I've been young and now I'm old. Now I can't, this scripture doesn't really apply much to me right now. It applies more to people like Bob and Ron and Randy and Mark and, and people like that. But, but here's what David said. Uh, I've been young. Now I'm old and I've never seen, I know a lot of people, I've never seen one person that has received righteousness by faith in Jesus. I've never seen one person forsaken, nor even their seed or their descendants having to beg for bread. No person that's ever lived can say God rejected me. Nobody. People in hell cannot say God rejected me. But God can say to people, and he does thousands of times a day, you rejected me. God will never reject you. The question is, are you rejecting him? Point number four, he reminded us there's constant care. Care for us. Uh, John 19, 26, when Jesus saw his mother, the disciple whom he loved, standing there, which was John, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. He said to John, the disciple, behold your mother. From that hour, that disciple took her into his home. Jesus is dying on a cross and he's concerned about the care of his mommy. He's concerned about the care of his mom. On the cross, he provides, he reminds us that he always cares. Now, I used to have this thought. I used to think that, you know, God, I have such good faith in you that if anything ever happens to me, I know you will take care of my wife and my children. That's what I used to think. Now listen to how arrogant that is, okay? Listen to how arrogant and prideful and self-centered that is. Let me say it again. If anything happens to me, I know that then you'll take care of my wife and my children. Listen, <laughs> I don't even take care of them. God's taking care of me right now. He'll take care of me to the day I die. He's taking care of my children right now. No and he, he can use me, but listen, no matter where I'm at or what I do or what I'm ever going to do or what I've done, God is the one providing care for the people that I love. He cares for us. Okay, number five is this, atonement. 
And you're going to wonder where I got this point from in this particular phrase that Jesus said on the cross. So stick with me. Atonement. Atonement. John 19, 28. Jesus, knowing that all things were accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I thirst. Now listen, I don't think that he was saying I'm thirsty for a drink of water. Because if he was proclaiming things that he wanted, he'd say, I'm thirsty, I'm hungry, I'm tired, I need a nap. It wasn't about that. He was saying, God, I'm ready I'm thirsty for a spiritual cup. What was this spiritual cup? It was the sins of you and me and the whole world. So let me show you that. Remember he said, I'm thirsty. Watch this. I thirst. Watch. Luke twenty-two forty-two. Father, if it's your will, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Okay, take this cup. John 18, 11. Jesus said to Peter, after Peter cut the, the ear of the soldier off, put away your sword. Shall I not drink the cup which my father has given me. So he said, take this cup. Shall I drink this cup? And I thirst. Here's what he was saying. God, I'm ready. I'm ready to drink from the cup that contains the sin of the entire world, the entire human race, past, present, and future. He was asking for that cup for you and for me. In fact, let me give you a word to help you understand atonement. Atonement would be this. If you break it down just like justified, justified never sinned, atonement is this. At one with God. Jesus was saying, God, as soon as I drink this cup, any person that wants to be in relationship with you can be at one with you for all of eternity. Point number six, finished. John 19, 30, he said, it is finished. Bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. He was saying, God, I've done everything that needs to be done for any sinful man or woman to be restored to you. It's finished. Now, the word finished here in the Greek, it comes from a business type word, a business term. It means a finalized transaction. In other words, a transaction has occurred. Somebody's paid for something and they, they want their receipt back. They want what they paid for back. Remember, Jesus said that he purchased you. With his own blood. He made the purchase. Once the blood was shed. He could say God the transaction. Has been finished. There's nothing they can do to be close to you. But believe. There's nothing they can do for you to love them. Any more than you already do. I've paid the price. Works are over. Sacrifices are over. I've paid for it. It's finished. Complete. Done. All they can do is receive it now. Last point. Point number seven. Commitment. Commitment in Luke 30 in Luke 23 36 when Jesus cried out with a loud voice he said father into your hands I commit my spirit having said this he breathed his last if you listen Jesus commits himself into the hands of God my question to you is have you committed yourself into the hands of God once you, you, you can be like me where we walk the aisle 10 times in our life. We say the sinner's prayer a hundred times. We beg and plead forgiveness and all that, you know. But until we commit our life to Christ, once you make that commitment, these seven things is what God commits to you in return. Commit yourself to the hands of God. Watch this. Remember, into your hands I commit my spirit. John 10, 28. I give them eternal life. They shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. 
My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one, not Satan, not any demon, not any human being, can snatch them, is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand for all of eternity. God has a firm grasp on your life. What's your part? John 6, 28, the work of God is that you simply do this. Believe in whom he sent. Once you commit your life to Jesus, you'll be in the Father's hands for eternity. And here's what he commits to you. All your sins are forgiven. The minute you close your eyes on earth, you'll open your eyes in paradise. You'll have care constantly for all of eternity. You'll be at one with the creator of the universe. The sacrifices are complete. Nothing you can do for him to love you any more, any less. It's finished. It's complete. And he will be eternally committed to you. I hope you believe. I can't wait to see you next Sunday. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God bless you. In Jesus' name, amen.